0: Welcome to the Agent of Influence podcast with Nabil Hannan. I'm your host, Nabil Hanan, Managing Director at NetSpy. This is a podcast sponsored by NetSpy as a place to share best practices and trends in the world of cybersecurity and vulnerability management. Portions of this interview will appear in print on the NetSpy executive blog. To find out more, go to www.netspy.com slash agentofinfluence. This is an episode in a series of interviews with industry leaders and security gurus, and I'm excited to have with me today my good friend, Susan St. Clair. Hi, Susan.
1: Hey, Nabil. Thanks so much for having me.
0: It's our pleasure. Susan is the IAST evangelist and a subject matter expert at Checkmarks. She has spent the last decade as a technologist mastering a comprehensive set of skills from software testing to strategic leadership. Susan has over 15 years of experience working with application security development teams in roles ranging from test automation, project management, software performance, and software security. She has consulted with Fortune 100 companies, including those from the financial, insurance, retail, entertainment, high-tech, and manufacturing verticals. Susan's background in various software development disciplines brings a strong understanding of the technical and business challenges organizations are facing today around releasing secure applications amid increasing time-to-market pressures. Susan is especially interested in finding and developing talent and leadership from within organizations and watching them shine. So Susan, how did you get started with security?
1: First off, let me say that intro, I would hire me. It sounds so much more impressive when you put it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But to answer your question, how did I get started with security? I think, you know, if you look at my backgrounds, I've always been very interested in just how things work. You know, so starting out with, um, you know, trying to break things through functional testing and then, you know, trying to break, you know, not just applications, but systems with performance testing and performance engineering. It was just a natural evolution um, to get into application security. Certainly, I think to understand how things work and the loopholes, we always like to know things that maybe others don't. Um, but to understand that, but then also I think then, you know, yes, it's very cool to know the, those loopholes, but, you know, how do, how do we fix them and how do we address them? Because certainly not everyone is just curious. Some people use that knowledge for nefarious purposes. So that, that kind of drew me in. And of course, it's a very, um, a very exciting, uh, very evolving uh, space. Even the last five plus years that I, I've been in it, so much has changed.
0: I know that you're not actually from a technical background like others I talked to uh, in the security space. Can you share with us a little more about your journey on what got you introduced to security and made you made the transition to technology?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, so again, I, I think, um, you, you know, I wasn't the uh, seven-year-old coder who was uh, building programs on, you know, their Commodore 64 or whatnot. That was never really my thing. But as I had a few classes in university and and my first professional job was around software, again, more in the testing space, I think just more as I got into it, it was just more and more interesting. And I think, again, what was so interesting to me is how everything intersects. So I know when we're talking about application security, you know, we focus a lot on developers and, and codes and frameworks and open source components. And you know, more like the application side of things. But really, I think what is cool and fascinating is the intersection between what people do or what they can do, that application code, the systems, the networks, all of that. So I think that kind of like how everything flows together just continues to draw me deeper and deeper into it.
0: No, that's great. So is there any advice you would give people who are from a non-technical background, but maybe considering or are interested in getting into cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I feel that our industry could really benefit from an outsider's point of view. We focus a lot on, oh, I've been, I've been doing this for the last 20 years. And that is amazing. I mean, the things that you've seen and the things that you found and the patterns that you've identified, that's amazing. But we all get into ruts. We all get into (laughs) certain ways of thinking about everything. So I think being able, as a non-technical person and coming at it almost cold and not necessarily understanding what you should and shouldn't be able to do, really gives you an advantage. And then, of course, you can always pick up the skills by taking courses through the various uh, organizations to um, uh, maybe do an intro course to pen testing, if that's your thing, or, you know, secure coding if you want to go more the developer path. But there's a lot of different ways you can go. But I think just that first, don't be intimidated, ask questions that might seem obvious (laughs) but are not, and just continue to use kind of that out-of-the-box thinking.
0: That's, um, that's very relevant. I mean, I find a lot of people are sometimes scared to ask questions. They are worried that they're going to sound silly or sound stupid, but a lot of people don't understand that if you have the question, chances are others are thinking about the same thing, but may not be asking it. So it's very important to ask questions. In fact, one of the favorite quotes I have, you know, I, I refer to frequently is that the quickest way to get to the answer to a problem is asking someone who knows the answer. So Mm -hmm. it's okay to go and ask questions, even sometimes they might sound silly.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think by asking questions, you might ask me a question like, oh my gosh, Nabil, how could you not know this? It's so obvious. But I think it really would force the people who quote unquote, know. you know what, maybe it isn't really so obvious or Um, you know, challenging assumptions. Uh, Again, we all get in ruts. So, you know, why is it that way? Oh, well, because that's just the way that we did it, you know, however many years ago. Well, it's not however many years ago, things have changed. So Mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely.
0: Very true. So Susan, you have a very interesting job title being an IAST evangelist. Can you share with us kind of what is IAST and why is it revolutionizing the application security space?
1: Sure. So again, what is exciting to me as a technologist is, you know, the intersection of things. It completely always blows my mind, like what people will do or can do. And again, the assumptions that we make as, you know, maybe developers or architects in dealing with those crazy things that people do and and the consequences of those decisions. So with IAST, again, I think of of the technologies in the AST toolbox, if you will. This is one that's really starting to look at that intersection of the people, the the systems, the application and the network, because it's really part of the application as a whole. You know, so you load an agent in there and it's monitoring or it's looking for security vulnerabilities as people are, or testing tools are interacting with the application. So it really gets, I think, a, a good man in the middle or a good uh, central viewpoint, uh, if you will, of everything that's going on with applications. So that I think is very exciting to me. I think also anytime that I can, <laughs> there's always a little bit of you know, change, but, you know, anytime that I can insert something that's quote unquote easy button into um, an existing process, the more successful it is. So with I asked again, you know, certainly you have to, you know, put the agent in and that's not always as easy as we would like, but, you know, I don't have to convince anybody to scan. I don't have to convince anybody to do anything other than what they're already doing. So, I think with if I look at the future, things like IaaS, things that are automated, things that are quote-unquote easy, that don't require people to change, that's really the direction that um, the, the AST tool set is going and, and I think needs to go. Right now, it's such a niche place, which is good. But then it makes it harder to expand past, you know, us niche players uh, and adjust the larger market or the larger uh, population.
0: I think it would also be helpful if you would elaborate a little bit on the agent-based technology and what that really means. Because if I understand it correctly, this isn't necessarily a new technology. It's just a new technique that's being applied to application security. But agent-based technologies already exist for things like performance telemetry, correct?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that's what's so exciting to me. So certainly, I think, as you are very well aware, you know, even back in the day uh, within application security, we had some testing uh, or some solutions that, you know, leverage or could leverage an agent. In my experience, they haven't been well leveraged or they haven't been, you know, really used. Mm-hmm. But I think what we've learned is by looking at the APM space, so tools like Dynatrace and tools like New Relic and, um, you know, all of those other performance monitoring tools being agent-based and really being able to trace application performance issues from, you know, perhaps the the client side to the the web, the app server, and even to the database in the case of the APM tools, you know, we're like, hey... What if we could extend that to security? Again, theoretically, it's not really that much different. I'm just looking for different things. So I think that, you know, that APM space has really, really matured over the last decade. And I think it's an amazing thing that security is kind of going in that path. Again, how do we kind of embed security, both in the identification and the monitoring phase, and then even extending it past that? which is kind of the RASP, kind of the protect, uh, if you will, piece of agent-based application security. So what I would love to see for agent-based technology with IS and RASP is let's see what we can do to extend past the application server and hit some of these other tiers, and then even what we can do with the addition of machine learning or AI on top of that to associate the data that we get with you know meaningful results, actionable results.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you kind of brought up the concept of RASP. A lot of people I have discussions with, they do find it a little bit challenging to understand the difference between IAST and RASP. Can you help us clarify that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, there there absolutely are a lot of similarities. There's a lot of overlap. Without, I mean, in each vendor, I think kind of has their own nuances and their own implementations, but fundamentally. The way that I look at it is, you know, IAST is a testing tool. So it's an agent that you would deploy in your pre-production environment to understand security vulnerabilities before you actually, you know, deploy it out into the real world um, and expose it. So it's more of a monitoring or an identification tool, whereas RASP has the capability, again, agent-based, but it's deployed now with the application into a production environment. And it has the capability to block, right? So, you know, you have your your various uh, protection mechanisms in production, like endpoint protection and, and WAFs and all those awesome things. But, you know, a RASP agent is actually working at the application level. So it can detect patterns within the application code and the input coming in and actually block malicious behavior from actually happening. So it's more of a protect versus an identify.
0: Perfect. That definitely helps simplify it. Hopefully. And and I like that it's one, one being detect and the other being protect. I think that, that's def, that definitely resonates much easier. So, you know, with being in this application security space for so long, I know that there isn't one solution that tends to fit everyone's needs. And, you know, to, in order to have proper security and application security, you do still need defense in depth. and. Obviously, there's a need for security in various phases of the SDLC for any organization. Can you share with us from your experience some of the other things that you're helping your customers with in order to be able to inject security earlier in the SDLC?
1: Yeah, sure. And again, based on your experience and what you've seen, you know this just as well as probably anybody out there, but there is no silver bullet. I hate to break it to everyone, but there is no silver bullet. Um, so you really do need to take a layered approach and maybe you can't do everything all at once. But, you know, certainly when you're developing a program, you have a plan and, you know, what what do you want to achieve? In terms of layering it, I think at the various uh, stages in the SDLC, again, very simplistically, you know, if we just kind of break it off into, you know, development and uh, build and testing and production, very simple phases. You know, if we're looking at a development stage, we want to be able to detect security vulnerabilities as early as possible, right? So that includes, you know, potentially learning. So e-learning or or even instructor-led classes to teach best practices. But then even when they start to code, you know, we want to make sure that that code is secure, So scanning with a static code analysis is a big deal. And again, as much as you can automate, the better. Um, So, you know, leveraging webhooks or um, having an automation engine that, you know, upon a merge, you know, it kicks off a scan will definitely help with success. Because, again, I'm not asking people to change what they do. It just kind of fits into what they're already doing. So you know, starting off with static code analysis with e-learning early on, and then as you kind of move through the process, again, you know, putting it as part of your build process with open source security, again, now that you're kind of adding in those open source components, which are a, a growing trend in terms of risk, but also, you know, maybe doing um, some dynamic testing with IAST again, as your build and deploy, and even dynamic testing, right? kind of coming from the outside in kind of a automated pen test i guess if you will making sure that everything looks good and then of course again you can never guess what people are going to do so having that pen test you know again wherever it makes sense maybe that's you know right before deployment of a major release or you know maybe that's at certain milestones in your process but you know having that human element really just kind of check and do crazy things to see if they can, you know, break or or hack the system is huge as well. So automation, I would say, in the day-to-day, as much as you can. But then don't forget the human element with pen testing either.
0: So you bring up an interesting point there, too, around the education piece. Uh, Why is it so hard to train developers to code securely?
1: Mm, Isn't that the million-dollar question? (laughs) 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 I think if we could figure that out, it would be... uh... It would be we would be millionaires um i i don't I don't know that it's so much they don't get it. I mean these are smart people. I look at some of the things that they come up with, the problems that they solve, and I'm amazed right um I think really what it comes down to is it's not so much they don't know, although certainly that's the case with you know maybe junior people and even senior people there's you know the ability to improve and and to go into advanced topics. I think that honestly. What, what does a developer do? A developer is there to write applications, to write features, to fix bugs. Security is an afterthought. It's an afterthought. It's still not seen as something that is a core functionality, if you will, of the code and the applications that they're writing. So it has to be, again, the security in the past was always something that was, oh, well, we do that as a a compliance check. It's not something that's really ingrained in their day to day. So for security to be successful, it's not that people don't know. I think it's more that it's too hard and it takes too long and it's something else that they have to do. So it has to be part of what they do day to day.
0: Yeah, I think we need to see a cultural shift at organizations that are building software to bring more awareness focus and also give developers the time and resources to
1: mm-hmm.
0: build software securely instead of rushing to to finish functionality, and which is which is very true. Right,
1: prioritize it in the same way that you would a feature or a bug fix. It yeah, should, I, I
0: actually tell people that it should be considered as one of the illities, you know, from a quality, reusability, yeah. availability, security needs to become one of those illities.
1: But those non-functionals are always left behind. <laughs> mm-hmm. those, are, those are always, those are always second-class citizens. And again, you know, we, we bag on or, you know, we uh, give development teams a hard time, but the pressures that they're under is ridiculous, I think. Um, so we're asking them to do more and more and more, check all of these illities. And, you know, we really don't give them the tools or the, the time or the resources to do a good job.
0: So Agreed. it's not fair. Agreed. Well, Susan, I know that um, let's shift gears a little bit. I know that you, you love the outdoors mm-hmm. and that you've spent a lot of time outdoors with your family. And you're the only person I know who's ever discovered dinosaur fossils. So can you share with the audience the story of what happened and, and how you discovered those?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, it's again, you know, just like the intro, I think it sounds so much more exciting than it probably was when uh, I was out with my family doing this. But uh, like you said, I love the outdoors. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily see that if you saw my day to day life stuck in front of uh a computer (laughs) inside (laughs) all day, but I truly do. I grew up out West in uh, Colorado and uh, my family and I were out hiking in this area where it's a good area for fossils. Um, And we were walking along in um, Southwestern Colorado, and we actually found like this little, little fossil. And um, we didn't actually, we didn't know what it was at first. My daughter actually was the one who was like, I think that's a fossil. And we're like, oh, you're so silly. It's just a rock. (laughs) What are you talking about, (laughs) crazy girl? But uh, we actually uh, found out it was, I don't know, some like little sea creature fossil from, I don't know, way back, millions of years ago, way back when. So. It was pretty cool, actually. I don't think, like you said, most people have a story like that, but it was, uh, it was very cool. And honestly, you know, it's been enough to keep us on the dinosaur and, and fossil track for, for a while now. So we're always on the lookout for more.
0: That's, that's so fascinating. How, how do you even go about figuring out what it is? Is there somewhere you can go submit pictures or do you take the fossil? What's that process like?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think, um, well, first we did a lot of Googling, um, but again, not being experts in any sort of uh, stretch, <laughs> um, we uh, didn't really come up with anything. So we uh, actually took it to a, um, a community college where, you know, they have kind of a, a department, not fossil department, but kind of you know, um, geology and whatnot. And we took it to them and, and they were able to help us out in determining what it was. So, but yeah, a lesson learned, like you said, I, I learned a lot during this process.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fantastic. It's such a fun story. Uh, well, Susan, thank you so much for being our guest today. It was fun chatting with you as always. And I look forward to catching up with you in person, hopefully sometime soon.
1: Oh, yes. It was super fun. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: It's My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Bye-bye. This
0: has been an Agent of Influence podcast with Nabil Hanan. Portions of this interview can be found in print on the NetSpy Executive blog. And please subscribe for future episodes of Agent of Influence at www.netspy.com slash agent of influence.